When I think of insurance, I think necessary evil. Um, but at the same time, I'm aware that life has a lot of moments that matter, that should be insured. Hello, you're listening to the Experience Pod. My name is Ada Irikefe. The Experience Pod is a one-on-one interview-led podcast that discusses the adoption, utilization of relevant emerging technologies and trends for impact-oriented professionals, researchers, developers, and students who demand realistic and thought-provoking perspectives on the opportunities and challenges presented by these phenomena in our unique environment. Today, we discuss insurance, one of Nigeria's oldest industries spanning over 100 years. Health insurance specifically is one of the fastest growing areas of the Nigerian insurance. Despite this, less than 10% of Nigerians have access to health coverage, compared to 90% in some countries. In recent years, we have seen more conversations centered around innovation, driving new ideas, and how tech-enabled insurance can disrupt the health insurance industry. To talk more about insurance, health, and thoughts on driving industry-wide disruption, I'd like to welcome Dr. Femi Kuti, CEO of Reliance HMO. Thank you very much for having me on, Ada. No worries. So we'll start from here. So Femi, how would you describe what Reliance does? And what is distinct about his operations? Awesome. Again, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Great stuff that you guys are doing. Yeah, it's an honor. So Reliance Health, which is our parent company, and Reliance HMO, essentially our vision is just basically using technology to make healthcare affordable and accessible. And there's sort of like three key points or three key words in that mission statement. The first thing is technology. We're primarily a technology company. So even though people see us on the outside and say, you know, we're an insurance company, we're a health tech company, or, you know, whatever, we're primarily a technology company that uses technology to reach the goals that we've set. The second big word there is affordability. You know, cost is one of the biggest parts of like being able to access healthcare. In fact, if you look at the statistics, what you find is, you know, a large proportion of families are basically one healthcare bill away from bankruptcy or poverty. A lot worse in emerging markets like Nigeria, but it's also the same you find in other developed markets, some developed markets like say the US or something where healthcare bills are very high. So one thing we're focused on is finding ways to make healthcare more affordable. And the last piece is what we call accessibility. And we look at that from different angles. The first angle of that is just making the healthcare process easy to interact with and easy to use. So usually when people think about healthcare or going to the hospital, it sounds like this huge, very complex scenario where you don't really know what's going on. What makes it even worse sometimes you walk into the office of the doctor and they're throwing, you know, buzzwords and medical terms that you don't even know the meaning of. So it's quite anxiety provoking. So that's basically what we're about, just using technology to make healthcare affordable and accessible for as many people as we can. 
Great. Thanks, Femi, for the brief. So I picked up tech-driven company, ability and accessibility. And I, I like that. Well, in saying that, I think one of the issues with insurance and should I say healthcare access in Nigeria is low penetration. You've thrown out some stats, but I also know that we have stats from Oxford Business Insight, which puts the overall saturation at just 0.5% in Nigeria. I mean, compared to to 2.7 in Kenya and just under 17 in South Africa. Now, the argument is that it's a vicious circle. So where providers don't have enough capital, they don't pay claims on time, I hear that a lot. The T's and C's are long and as a result, you know, people don't trust. Yes, and we should trust. And there's a deep in insurance uptake and ultimately capital shortage. There's also another school of thought that says insurance providers have not yet cracked the right product fit for the Nigerian market. So in your experience, do you think that the increase in health insurance penetration is more dependent on providing better tailored products or is it a matter of just building trust? Yeah, thanks, Anna. That's a really good question. I'm going to start off by giving an intro to the answer that one of my medical school professors always says. So anytime you're answering a medical question, the first sentence is always, the causes are multifactorial. So it's a mixture of both, to be honest. There isn't one, let me say, core problem. It's a mix of both. And as you said, it's a vicious cycle where one is impacting the other. The first thing is actually the fact that a lot of the products that we have in the market are not specifically built for the majority of consumers that we have today, right? So the vast majority of products are built for big businesses. And then it also shows, mm. if you look at the, the customer profile for the majority of like healthcare players or health insurance players, it's the big businesses, you know, the big companies, to some extent, maybe some medium-sized companies as well. And they're the ones who the products that we have today are built, are built for. So when you talk about things like annual payment plans and the ability to swap, uh, the lack of telemedicine, it's not really built for the majority of people who sometimes work in either small businesses or are individuals who are like self-employed and just doing their own thing or whose companies might not be interested in getting insurance. Or even, you know, smaller companies that are just trying to survive and manage cash flow. Mm. So there's definitely the product aspect where we need to start thinking about who ex exactly is the customer and what do they need. I think we're, we're coming out of an era where there has been a history of, let me say, broken promises to the vast majority of health insurance oh. customers. And you kind of see that when people go to the hospital. And interestingly enough, it's one of the first things that we saw when we started Reliance, which was like a lot of people complained about, you know, I don't enjoy the experience that I receive in the hospital. It's almost like you're a carrier, right? Like you, you show up and you say, hey, I'm, I'm an insurance customer. And the, the hospital is like, hey, just go and sit in the corner first. You know, just, just wait like, to one corner. Just wait to one corner. Like, and then we'll attend to this person who's paying us, you know, cash up front, you know. The cash money but unfortunately overall we're all kind of losing in the sense that we're not overpaying for healthcare and we're not getting the kind of healthcare that we should be getting so in summary is like you know it's basically both of them there isn't one solution uh, and the truth is if we really want to like push the penetration of health in france you know it needs to be both we need to start building trust but building trust also starts from providing the right products and fulfilling the promise that we make to our consumers
Great, great response. I mean, you just talked about building trust and providing the right product. That kind of speaks to our new PwC strategy, which covers building trust and providing sustainable outcomes. And I think that's what we need more on. So let's stay on the subject of products and services and delve more into how they shape the market. I know in the past few years, there's been a lot of innovation. I mean, you're a technology-driven company within the health insurance space. I also know that you founded Canpay. Is it Canpay? Yes, that's Canpay. Yeah, Canpay. Yeah, that's really where we got the name. We we got the spelling Can- wrong, but you know. Yeah. So it's actually Canpay, as in. Yes. Can- it is. It is. Oh, cool. Funny story behind that. The the, the thing is, like, we know Canpay is spelled K-A-M-P-E. We tried to get yeah. the domain, it wasn't available. So I just spoke to my co-founder. We play around with the spelling. Like, yeah, okay. uh, we nice one. But we get the, we get the gist, you know. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I thought that's quite cool. So we do get the gist. Don't worry about the spelling. <laughs> so so Kanpei is one of Nigeria's first telemedicine service providers. And this is before you now pivoted to Reliance HMO. What would you say, and you've kind of touched a little bit on it, what would you say goes into choosing new service offerings and how do you determine the segments to target? Yeah, when we think about our business and when we think about like our entire reason for being or reason for existing, it, it all basically starts with the customer. You know, you need to, you can't really like think of what the customer needs, the customer needs to tell you what they need. Yes, they might not know exactly what fulfilling that need looks like. You know, there's a famous saying from Henry Ford that like, if you had asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. You know, they would have asked for a car. Mm. But the underlying reason behind that is that they would still have asked to move faster, right? So if you ask the customers, hey, I would love to be able to get from Lagos to Ibadan in, you know, an hour, right? But they might not know how that happens. But the point that I'm trying to make is that everything that drives new product offerings is essentially just listening to customers. And it's just like, you know, what's your experience? How could this be better? What's your need? What, you know, how is this different from like your expectation? And the vast majority of times, which is interesting, you know, and, and it's exciting, the customer kind of tells us what direction we should look at and what we should look into. So for example, one plan that we've been sort of like toying with is something around the pregnancy space. A lot of people have been asking for that and it's a tough plan to put together for like a retail customer, mm-hmm. but it's something that we're working on. But it kind of just shows you what the way we kind of think about new product offerings. The other place mm-hmm. we also look for new product offerings is also what's happening in the space and just locally as well as internationally. And then what that means is if we see somebody doing something interesting and exciting that would benefit the customer, it's like, oh, okay, how can we sort of bring this into our own complementary products? And how can we just like make this available to our customers as well? But I think at the end of the day, like the summary of everything is like, it, it just has to be customer led, you know, and you just have to find a way to continue speaking to the customers on a regular basis to find out what the needs are. Sure. Well, that's a great response. And before I go to my next question, I want to ask a controversial question. And I know we're talking about health. I, I um, love controversial questions. This one is podcast interesting. <laughs> so let me deviate a tiny bit. It, it, it's a product that has taken up in, I would mm. say, in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder why we haven't even thought about it here. It's funeral insurance. I know we're talking about health, but... We're yeah, also so. talking about insurance. Mm. 
Is there a market for funeral insurance? And if there isn't, why not? I didn't know we were going to go this controversial. I'll just be totally honest. South Africa is a very, very interesting market. Even on the health insurance space, it's very different from Nigeria. I don't know that much about the funeral insurance space, but I have spoken to a few people who are in that space. And, and the thing is, like, what's interesting about South Africa is that like, it's a really, really big deal, right? And it's very, very expensive. I can't make a comparison to like how big of a deal it is with Nigeria. I know mm. that like in Nigeria, mm. you know, we take burials very like seriously and it's super important. Like seriously, but then very we also different. have that culture. God forbid is not my Exactly, portion. the God forbid. Yeah. And, and the thing is that that also brings up one of the more interesting parts um, of about insurance, where you were talking about, you know, the necessary evil. It sometimes mm. is, the weird thing about insurance is that sometimes it, it must confront the possibility of events that you really don't want to happen. And then sometimes you're, people get worried that like, am I jinxing things? The fact mm. that I'm considering mm. that this is happening, is it going to happen? But I mean, that's one sort of reasoning or POV that people have sort of put forward to the difficulty in making insurance deal. But I, I don't think I'm totally in agreement with that because I think at the end of the day, we do confront the realities of the dangers and the risks in our lives every day. You know, that's where people pray when they get into a bot. And, and I think that like, it's also about the positioning of the product. But more to the question, mm. is there a market for for funeral insurance, personally, I feel there's a market for pretty much anything if you're focused on customer need. And I do know that like there are a good number of people who are like, you know, Baba's burial is probably going to cost me an arm and a leg. I'd like to be able to sort of offset that cost up ahead. It, it would be an interesting play, you know, if anybody out there is, is working in that space, you know, maybe they should be on this field to talk about that as well. Let's 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 watch the space. Yeah. You heard it from here first, right? <laughs> Okay, so um, let's talk about trends. And when we think disruptors, you know, I, I would say that in my generation and possibly my father's generation, there hasn't been any disruptor bigger than the pandemic. I mean, nobody saw it coming. It, it'd be interesting to, to see what other history books would be like in the next 10 years, you know, mm -hmm. it'll be a case of what happened in 2000, <laughs> you know what I mean, how we used to read history in those days and yeah, what yeah. happened in 18 something. So, but it's such an important topic. And I always feel that we can't have a serious conversation without touching on the pandemic and what is also done. Let's bring it closer to what we're talking about, the impact in the Nigerian insurance space, particularly health. Would you say the biggest pandemic changes for Reliance came from pressures on internal operations or changes in consumer expectations? What are your thoughts? Oh, that's, that's, that's an interesting question. I think for us at Reliance, I would say the pandemic kind of accelerated a lot of things that we had in the pipeline because, you know, part of our vision, as I said, has always been accessibility. And then when we think about ease of use, we ended up at products that seem to do really well during the pandemic. Mm. So we're talking about things like really scaling up telemeds, really turning telemedicine from just a consultation to an ability to consult and pick up your medications, turning the platform into something that allows people to manage chronic care, like, you know, hypertension, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, without mm. the need for people to always have to fill up physically. It also included even our own internal operations. So one thing that we are as a company is that we were always like, 
remote aligned. So we don't really have like open times or closing times. We don't mandate mm. people to come into the office. It's always a part of our work. Home. But I think the one place that we never really pushed it hard enough was in our call center, the landscape center. But we'd always had things in the pipeline to sort of make that happen. So, you know, to be fair to people who work in the Reliance Care Center. But again, the pandemic's just sort of accelerating all of that. So maybe for a bunch of products that we were thinking, hey, we're probably, I don't know, like nine months, one year away from like releasing these things because we wanted to take our time to sort of like put everything. It was like, oh, okay. We need to do it we need to do this now. Like, we can't wait, or else, you know, we're just not even going to be able to actually operate as a company in the new space that we're in. So I know this is a weird thing to say, but, you know, thanks to the pandemic, <laughs> I don't know if you can say that, like, you sort of allowed us to, like, it, it, I call it the silver lining of the pandemic. Thank you. I think, yeah, I think that's only a better term, silver lining. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it wasn't just us, you know. I, I really had to give kudos to like a lot of the other players in the space that just really managed to like turn around their models, both on the insurance side as well as the, the provider side, you know. Um, yeah. I think this was really the boom time for telemedicine, you know, hats off to a lot of the other telemedicine startups that were able to get really great partnerships around this time. So I think for us, it sort of accelerated things that we had in the pipeline. But I think overall, it's I agree with you that it's essentially moved the space into a better place. And, and it'll be interesting to see how things evolve from there. Mm, mm, interesting. Interesting. I, it, with telemedicine, mm. what's been the uptake like? Is it something that people are willing to do easily? I don't have any um, stats around yeah. that you know yeah. you know it, especially again culture has a lot to do with you know type of products and services that we offer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i would say now nigerians where i need to see you to feel you to know that you are telling me the truth and yeah. i need to get value for money and i can't get value for money exactly. by just talking to exactly have people taken to telemedicine uh, a lot more than you know pre-pandemic Oh yeah, 100%, 100%. I think we kind of did have our telemedicine product pre-pandemic as soon as like lockdowns happened. I think usage sort of like 10x repeatedly for months. They were just like increasing uh-huh. 10x almost every single month for let's say on an average basis, let's say about like six, seven times every single month. And I think, which also kind of comes back to what we're talking about when it comes to trust, right? Which is sometimes Especially when we're in a society that's a very low trust society like ours, and sometimes something needs to happen to sort of push people to experience the thing by fire, by force, in a sense. I'm not a yeah. big fan of like forcing yeah. people to do things, but sometimes when by virtue of like what's going on in society or in the environment at that point in time, people then experience this thing and like, oh wow, you know, this is actually pretty great. Like, you know, maybe I overemphasize the need for some conditions. The need to actually see somebody else. And it's not just healthcare. People say this across a bunch of issues. E-commerce, like, skyrocketed. You know, online grocery companies, online, yeah. online food ordering companies, just, like, skyrocketed because it went from, oh, I'm not so sure about this because I can't actually mm. see the person on to, well, I really don't have a choice. To, to a need. Oh, yeah, exactly. To, like, oh, wow, this is pretty great. Like, I just, I can, mm. I don't need to, you know, get off my couch wear pants, wear a shirt, I can yeah. just do this in in short shots, 
or pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> leave the house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Nice one. Nice one. Okay. So talking about, again, we're sort of still on the trends and talking around products and services. Mm-hmm. Now, current demographics and mm-hmm. where the country is actually going to trajectory of our country, mm-hmm. we can't ignore the youth. We've talked about who do we target, right? And you've also yeah. talked about how products and services are customer-led. Now, I feel that the youth are an important customer segment across mm-hmm. all landscape. What I don't see is, um, I don't see the insurance companies targeting the youth. I don't know why. And is there a particular reason? Is it because they, I, I won't even say they have less spend, spending power because they do. So what is it? Why don't you guys target? You haven't eliminated them completely, but there hasn't been an aggressive push towards the youth segment. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I can't speak for most other players, but I can speak for us. I think the way we sort of look at things is basically focusing on the customer again, as, as I said. And what makes it a bit of a complicated question to answer is like, how are we defining youth, right? Like, you know, is it 18 to 45? So, I mean, yeah. let's, say we take, let's say we take the typical 18 to 45 range. I would actually say that the vast majority of products are actually targeted at the youth, per se. Maybe the older end of the youth, because a good chunk of our customer base is basically between the ages of uh, like the mid 20s to like the mid 40s, is actually where the mm-hmm. bulk of our customers are. And the reason for that is if you think about the dynamics of why people are purchasing health insurance in the first place, mm. usually there's like a family event that makes that happen. So very often what we're finding is that it's maybe somebody who has just gotten married and they're expecting a child or somebody has gotten married and like they want to look after their family or, you know, they have children, especially young kids. And so if you're looking at the demographic that's, either just getting married, planning to get married, or that they have, they have kids in the range of, say, like, one year all the way to, say, like, 10, 12 years old, it pretty much falls within that, like, youth demographic. I think what people tend to think about when they think about, like, plans specific to the youth of sort of, like, plans specific to younger, single individuals mm-hmm. is, like, oh, yeah, this person is, like, they don't have a family, they're on their own. Like, well, they're, like, single that kind of stuff, or, you know, they're just not married or something. The thing is, we do have a good chunk of customers like that, and there are a good number of products for that demographic. What makes that mm-hmm. part interesting is that I don't think anyone has really figured out the product that would attract that demographic. And part of the reason is because the drivers that motivate somebody who is, you know, unmarried, single, first jobs or second job, just starting out in their career, is very different from the drivers that would motivate somebody who, you know, maybe sure. has a kid or two or three years old. So that's one way to look at it. The other way to kind of look at it is that if you consider the fact that the vast majority of health insurance customers are actually companies and corporate, you do have a good number of young people covered because they're employed, right? So, you know, so if you pick like a significant company, like a big chunk of the employee base would be people in that 20s, early 30s demographic. So it's kind of, I know the answer is kind of all over the place, but it sort of depends no, on how, you, how you're looking at, how you're looking at you. 
Mm. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So talking about disruptive trends, uh, we always um, equate disruptive trends to new business model. Mm. And one business model that we have seen, and I think majority of us have used, is crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And we see the use of last-minute crowdfunded medical intervention mm-hmm. instead of relying on the good old preventative health insurance. Yeah. Now, I know that space is a more complex area and possibly mm-hmm. a more competitive model for traditional insurance. But some insurance have tapped into this opportunity by becoming an insurance provider mm-hmm. to new crowd investment. I use that platforms. Yeah. What are your views on this? And is this an untapped space for insurance providers in Africa to take advantage of? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting place, and it's very interesting. Um, but I think there's one premise that sometimes we miss when we look at the crowdfunding. I'm assuming you're talking about crowdfunding for health, which is basically, yeah. you know, or are you talking about yeah, crowdfunding for health? As in, as in, so the way mm-hmm. we've done it, there's the crowdfunding from an investment perspective, right? Normally, that's yeah. really... Exactly. exactly. Well, yeah. What we've used it for, or what it has sort of morphed into, is also yeah. crowdfunding for that emergency. Or medical bills, exactly. Yes, yes. So what's interesting about that space is one sort of factor that people sometimes forget because it's so popular is the fact that it's annoying like it's actually a nuisance for people who are in that situation because think about if you you're the person who needs a kidney transplant or you're the person who needs like you know heart surgery and you're basically sitting there you have this web page up on GoFundMe. you're basically sitting there eating and hoping that there are enough people who are going to think your story is you know, good enough for them to be able to come. It's 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 a horrible place to be. Like, you know, it's not the most ideal. So even though it gets done a lot, we shouldn't romanticize the, mm. that particular part because for the people who are in that state, it's not mm. the first. I think the difficulty has been, which is one of the challenges of insurance, is helping people understand how this thing that could happen so far down the line is something that you mm. need to prepare for. You know, and and it's something that it could happen, right? And if yeah. it does, you want to make sure that you're protected from from that. So I think that like as much as crowdfunding is like is like great, I do think that like maybe what we should start thinking about is why do we have the crowdfunding model as being so popular for funding healthcare in the first place, right? I have a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I think one of them is cost which is the affordability aspect, right? Maybe insurance plans that would cover the kind of conditions that are covered, that we typically do crowdfunding rates on, are just too expensive uh, and might not cover things like, you know, heart surgery or like kidney transplants and things like that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is just the general cost of healthcare as a whole. Now, if you remember a lot of these conditions, people have to travel abroad to get taken care of. Yeah. Um, as opposed to if we had them within Nigeria, you know, have to like a bunch of other healthcare providers that are trying to build that capability within Nigeria. You know, also happens to know like teaching hospitals in Nigeria as well that are building that capability locally as well. They could definitely be doing a lot more in terms of like publicizing that skill set. But I think that the more we're able to sort of one, have a lot of that done locally, reduce the cost of that, the easier it becomes for those things to be plugged into insurance. 
And I think that the moment people sort of understand that, like, hey, you know, there's the option of never having to be in this situation ever again, right? Mm-hmm. Or ever, period. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we will definitely begin to see that model sort of uh, decline. But there are a lot of things that need to be put in place, and it's probably a long, a long stretch. But I think the underlying thing is we kind of need to think about why that happens. But one thing that yeah. is interesting from from the crowdfunding model that I think that we're beginning to look into, and it's something that's been quite popular in, in the fast-moving consumer goods industry, is the concept of sagittarization. So it's basically taking something that costs X and breaking down the cost into like X divided by 10 over smaller portion. Mm. And that's essentially what's happening in the crowdfunding model, right? Like it's the same thing where it's like, uh, a hard transplant costs 10 million naira, but I'm going to get a million people to do that. So can we sort of flip that model around and say, instead of getting a million naira, a million people to do that money, could we get one person making that 10 naira donation a million times? And I think mm-hmm. that's something that's interesting that, we, that we're actually sort of exploring our lens as well to see how we, it's, we're doing something similar with the monthly health insurance plans. But there's also something similar as well that we could, we could say, hey, could we sacrifice the cost of a health insurance plan? So say, for example, at our, let's say, you know, you had a parent and you had like three or four siblings, right? Like, could we sort of break that cost off between your four siblings and just like break that cost between yourselves um, yeah, to, to yeah. purchase health insurance for that single person? Yeah. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And and again, that's one of the silver linings for of of the pandemic because you yep. had enough opportunity to just look inwards outwards or outwards inwards and, as the case may yeah. be question, and just read <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly so obviously being a tech-driven company you know innovation is up your street i mean when we look at the various drivers that are linked to innovation. You look at mm. customer behavior inside, mm. industry yeah. prediction. We just talked about like modeling trends from parallel markets and of course tech development. You know, that's technologies like the enabling. In your opinion, what's the key starting point for health insurance or or general insurance innovation in Nigeria? Mm. How long do we have? <laughs> that's that's a jam question. <laughs> it, is, it is a jam question. And like, you know, jam is hard. No, it's, it's a good question. I think where we need to start is actually getting really good at accumulating quality data. I think that's something that we are going to discover at, at Reliance as well. You know, when we started out, my co-founders and I, we did think that data was important. Right? Like, it's like, you know, but that's what people say, right? Like, gathering data, we'll use data, et cetera, et cetera. It's a good buzzword. But I think we're really only just discovering how powerful it is in terms of how we structure our business. So I think if I wanted to say that there was a good starting point, it would be just being good at accumulating, storing, and utilizing the data that we have, you know, in the space today. And there is a lot of data. There's a lot of data that happens on a daily basis. But the question is, how well are we using that data? How well are we you know, capitalizing on it? So if I had to you know, say one starting point, as opposed to just customers, it would definitely be the data aspect, yeah. Mm, nice, nice. And I know that's definitely aligned with Reliance 
HMO, we've heard mm-hmm. you speak about providing value to marginalized groups mm-hmm. using data. And of course, you know, you have to have clean, good quality data to be able to mm-hmm. provide that services. Now, mm-hmm. compared to the higher income or should I call them big corporate clients, yeah. the margin for premium from low income groups will be lower, right? But we realize that, and you've also alluded to that, that the insurance providers sit on some serious data. I mean, you guys sit on some serious data. Are there other avenues for coming up with value-added services, or should I say alternate forms of revenue? I mean, you have to be careful. Don't tell us everything. So I know that some things are like trade secrets here, yes. but it would help. It would help us in just sort of understand how passionate about you know the masses. So how does the data that you've acquired and how does AI? I know you guys use use AI. How does it help provide the necessary premiums without making you guys go out of business? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, and it's something that we do spend a lot of time thinking about and. There are basically two places or two parts to sort of providing that. When you think about health insurance or like healthcare to, let me say, the lower income demographic, the major driver at the end of the day is cost. So if you can control cost on multiple levels, you you pretty much be good. And the reason why cost is a big deal is because the great thing about contributory financing models is the fact that the more people you have in the pot the fewer everybody needs to contribute to to be able to receive service. And the great thing about allowing, especially in an emerging market like Nigeria, is that that pool of, you know, people is huge. It's a lot of people. So theoretically, if you can get as many people, a, a, a decent proportion of those people into a pot, it actually becomes cheaper for each individual. The question is like, you know, what's the path or what's the road to doing that and that's where you sometimes find that a lot of players who do want to go start going down the pyramid start at you know the high income and the big corporate clients because that's where you can kind of gather the momentum to be able to start going down the um down the pyramid but specifically regarding technology i think there are two parts of nature technology is like huge um still basically the data aspect one part is underwriting and the other part is uh what we call education or let me say claims processing on the underwriting part side right like it, the honest truth is like we don't really have good underwriting models to be able to price the risk of healthcare in a lot of other countries people can sort of price what is the likelihood of a 32 year old single female zero kids 10 years of experience earning X to Y income. What's the likelihood of like, you know, what's what's the expected or estimated healthcare cost for this individual over a period of say 10 years? The data sets are there and they're able to sort of come up with those questions. And that's really where you need to start. If you can't price the risk, you can't give a price that makes sense. It's possible the price might be crazy to start off with, but at least you, as I said, as you increase that pool, you're able to sort of get better at bringing that cost down. So I think that's the first thing, just like yeah. using it to build the right underwriting model so we can price properly. The second thing would be claims processing. So if you look at the cost structure for health insurance um, and even most of the healthcare related, outside the actual healthcare expense itself, the process, you know, no pun intended, the process of processing those healthcare requests, and processing things like claims and stuff like that, it's actually the next highest cost item. So if you look at some things, you have like a you know, 
13 person claims processing center. And that's even just mm. the obvious cost. The hidden cost of that are the errors that are made in terms of maybe conditions that still have been approved, that were approved, mistakes from the provider in entering pricing errors. So maybe, you know, paracetamol that should have been 10 naira per tablet was entered at 100 naira per tablet. So one thing that the data allows you to do is to do is like, like clean things up and make sure that you're not having, you're basically bringing down those costs significantly on multiple barriers. And I think that by the time we're able to sort of like solve those two problems and then start increasing distribution, it would be a very exciting market. It's very hard. So I think one thing that people ask is, I'm like, ah, guys are tech-driven now. It's very hard. I've done... I've yeah. done a lot of hard yeah. things in my life. It's also interesting and it's also And it takes time. It, it does take time, but we'll get there. I mean, you guys, you know, we're just starting. We always say that when it comes to insured tech, where our development is possibly in the last half decade, right? Mm, Would you say exactly. last? No, I agree. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So compared to... That's even not you just know, in my, that's um, not even just Nigeria, I'm even saying globally as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, 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 which is interesting. So I, I, I do know we'll get there, you know, and like with technology, we just have to keep trying and refining until we get the right computation. What would you say the biggest problems are with emerging technology? Is it a case of upskilling? We have a case of too many technologies where we're good at acquiring technology, but we're not good at utilizing technology. Have you seen some wins? when you talk about emerging technology and have you seen some not so great use cases? That's an interesting question. I think if you, when I think about the problems of sort of like using emerging technologies, I think the one thing that does come to mind is, I don't know how to sort of articulate this, but just like getting distracted. There's something about mm. emerging technologies that's extremely sexy. You know, VR, AI, data science. Yeah, it's yeah. like internet of things. It's all like super. Yeah. <laughs> but very often we lose sight of the fundamental truth, which is that these are all tools. They're all tools, right? Enablers. Exactly. They're all enablers. They're not the main thing. Mm. And I think that like it's very easy to get caught up in, in that whole mindset of like, you know, this is exciting. How can we use VR? I was like, but no, no, no. It's just, it's not, it's not the right way to look at this thing. It's like, what do our customers need? Right? And then one philosophy that we actually yeah. have as well is obviously, we actually want to make the emerging technologies invisible. Like you don't even see it happen. Right? Yeah. Technology, it, 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 people find it daunting, right? People yeah. When it works, like, you know, the magic that makes happen. But, just the fact that they're interfacing with a machine is very, very daunting. To yeah. So I think one thing that we try to strive for is to make the technology invisible. Everything works. It works like magic. It's just like, you know, it's like, but the thing is, you're not seeing, um, it looks like you because like we're sort of hiding or sort of like protecting you in a sense, not to start condescending from the complexity mm -hmm. of the stuff that's happening on the back end. But, but, but I think the biggest issue is getting caught up in the excitement of these emerging technologies and forgetting that they're essentially tools and they're essentially enablers. 
to achieve the primary goal, which is how do you make life easier for people? And how do you help people achieve the goals that they want to achieve? And how do you help them with their needs? No, that's, that's so valid. You know, I like the bit where you say make technology invisible because we the, the average Joe does not want to know about exactly. AR XR. Yeah. It's lovely that it's there because it helps um, just simplify the process. But exactly. I, you know, I'm not interested in the back end. Yeah. So I, I like that. That's uh, no, uh, that's nobody is excited about WhatsApp because of like secure encryption or you know. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody really cares about it. It's like, oh, I can like text my sister at like 5 a.m. and I can send her pictures of my You sister. know what I say? You know, the one I like is to put my ATM card in the ATM, in the ATM machine exactly, yeah. and get my money out. Whatever so, happens in the background, so not interested. Like, like, be somebody sitting inside the ATM collecting the card and then pushing the money out. I don't really no, just make sure that my card is safe. I put it exactly. in, I bring it out, and my money comes out with me. That's more all I'm trying. And more importantly, you only take out, you only my account only reduces by the amount of money I'm putting out and not more. Exactly. Exactly. The thumbs up to technology. So let me take you off the hot seat and ask three random questions. Oh, nice. Three, three random <laughs> And they don't have to be related to emerging technology or trends, you know. But let's just ask, you know. So if you can tell our listeners, what was the last prediction that you got wrong? <laughs> I've had some really oh. interesting answers. The last prediction I got. I'm not thinking because because I get most of my predictions right. No, that's not true. I'm actually. Really oh bad. yeah, right. <laughs> right. This is why I don't pay betting because I'll, I'll lose all my money. I'm sure my predictions will be right. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it would be crypto, right? It would be crypto. Yeah, I I wouldn't say it was more of a prediction. It was just more of like being like a basical. So like I. I've been involved in Bitcoin back in like 2016, right? You know. Nala. I so am one of the. I am not If I had been, if I, if I had been sensible, this story would be going in a completely different direction. You know. We probably won't but be talking. No. I would have to address you as billionaire, billionaire doctor, chief doctor, <laughs> exactly, maybe something like that. A lot. <laughs> So the, it's actually an interesting sense. It was my friend who was getting paid in crypto to support that he was doing, but he couldn't process the transaction. So I was helping him sort of like facilitate that because I had a crypto account. Thankfully, there are a lot of great startups that are solving that problem right now. So I was like, oh, what's this Bitcoin thing? You know, you know. So every time he would ask me to like help him receive X amount of crypto, I would then buy the equivalent amount of crypto. Right, so if it's like, oh, they sent me 0.25 Bitcoin. I was like, okay, I'll also buy 0.25 Bitcoin and keep it in my account. And send it. This is kind of as a lack, right? I don't know what happened, but at some point I'm like, no, this is nonsense. This is silly. What am I doing? And then I stopped. <laughs> Thankfully, I... <laughs> oh my God, it's, it's interesting with the podcast. <laughs> People need to see your face at that point. <laughs> um, and then I stopped. <laughs> 
thankfully I'd accumulated a few, but you know, anytime I look at crypto prices right now, I'm like, what were you doing? What were you thinking? No, that was, yeah. I try not to think so about the, what, it. Was, thank you, thank you for bringing up such a traumatic. Thank you for bringing up such a traumatic story. Now, now I'm going to have to like cry myself for the like, cry to people. No, no, you have to. You have to take out the moral of this story. The moral oh, of the yeah, story. Oh yeah, the moral of the story. Yeah. Just keep it in. <laughs> no, I think, the moral, I think the moral of the story. No, I think the moral of the story is only the moral I like is. If like something is a lark but isn't gonna cost you anything, but there is the potential that it could be something big, why not, right? Like why not? Yeah, why not? Because I think at that time, you know, like it was cheap. You never, you never know. Yeah, don't don't be like ridiculous, silly about the whole thing. But like you know, people don't put money, money you can't afford to lose. Yeah, don't put, don't put your mortgage or your yes or your own school fees into yes. the game yes 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 but, um, <laughs> you know if there's free money around like, you know, take the risk yeah that uh it, it bit me mm. i've taken lessons from that so <laughs> ask me in another two years so yeah. my second question would be what's one view you seem to find very few people agree on hmm. okay one view that i find that very few people agree on this is a bit meta, but I would say is how to agree, right? And what I mean by this is that we're now sort of shifting into a society where we're all in our own individual bubbles. So you see this in social media, you see this on TV, and like in a bunch of elections worldwide, you're kind of beginning to see that where everybody wants to take, you know, the position of their cap. But then when we sit down and have an actual non-emotional, straightforward, sensible conversation, we find that we actually agree on more things than we disagree about, right? But for some reason, we're in a society where we sort of emphasize or escalate the disagreements or the differences and minimize the, the commonalities. And it's unfortunate because, you know, I think by the time you do have conversations with people on, you know, who have op- different opinions, but you find that like, oh, actually, we're pretty similar. And sometimes we're looking at the same topic or the same angle from completely different points of view. And if we just sat down and took time to understand the other person's life experience, maybe we would find agreement. But, you know, let's see how things evolve. I like that. I think one of the evils let me use the word evils that plague us is that we don't listen so we're exactly. saying the same thing but we're not listening we're, not listening to <laughs> we're saying the same thing, but i'm not listening to you because i have to get my point across you know okay. and you need to agree okay. with me rather than me agree with you so okay. that's deep hmm. okay so we have a question from our previous guest okay mr victor kumala who is the co-founder and executive director of captures solutions and the way we ask this question, you don't know who the next guest is. So he just asks a random question. And when I saw the question, I thought, hmm, how apt? He obviously has no clue who the next who guest is. Like, I can't tell you, I don't know who the next guest is going to be. And his question is, how do you think you can use advanced technology to improve your processes? 
Isn't that? I think we, we sort of discussed. We talked. Yeah. yeah, we talked a few examples of that in the conversation. So I, I think earlier I talked about like claims processing, adjudication, and stuff. I think another interesting thing that I could add to that mix might be our customer experience. So one thing that we spend a lot of time doing at Alliance is, you know, how do we make the experience of calling our call center a great one you know we actually don't even call it a call mm. center we call it the reliance call center instead of the call center so the entire premise okay. is that if you're contacting us we know that you have much better things to do with your much better things to do sure, time. Mm. on your whatsapp and so the whole concept is like how do we make that experience better for people and there are a bunch of technologies that we use and we've been spending a lot of time working on you know automations like chatbots automated responders and those kind of things yeah so i think i would say to give a more definitive answer probably would be chatbots on chat care center response lines might not be like advanced technology depending on who you're talking mm. to, but i think it's something that's mm. interesting and no no but it, it's a good one so finally we say that disruption is interrelated in that respect, what's one perspective you would like to get from our next interviewee? Like I said, we have no clue who the next no person, clue is. Who this person is. Oh. I have no clue. Hmm. It really hmm. depends on calendar. See how we try to get yeah. hold of you. You know, we had to call presidency. And... Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to get a hold of. You. In fact, what I thought we should I come to your office? Let me start checking out now. No, no, let me tell the truth. Tell the truth. Let me think about this. Okay, go ahead. Okay, yeah. No, this is yeah. This is what I would. Okay, spending a lot of time thinking about public services, just like the services that we get, you know, from the public sector. I see. So I think one thing that would be interesting to get a perspective on from the next person would be how do they think we can disrupt public services? But I, I don't really like using the term disrupt because it sounds very rebellious and almost anarchist. That's not really what I mean. <laughs> but disrupt from like, I think I would use like improve. So it'd be interesting to get a perspective on that. I, I actually enjoy having those kind of conversations with people. So I will. Yeah. I'll keep an ear out for, for the next episode to see how we'll let you know. We'll definitely let you know. That's a brilliant question that I think we need to banter on, you know, especially yeah. as we're going into the elections. Yeah. So we'll keep no, that I think quiet. There's, like, there's like massive opportunities, but it will be interesting to get a lot of, a lot Absolutely. Of Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been really interesting. I want to thank you so much. This has been extremely insightful for me. It's been fun, actually. It's I, I, I really think that insurance space is the next big space. I wrote an article recently, probably about two months, and um, I talked about insurance space, that what's happening there, you know. Yeah, yeah. That The way the fintechs have taken up insurance, yeah. insurance is to get to that level. And I believe... So, you know, with people like you in that space, I believe that um, there's more to come. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. For Thank you time. very much, Ada. This was, this was a whole lot of fun. This was very exciting. I love the questions that you guys asked. These are very important questions. Um, great work that you guys are doing here. Yeah. Thank you very much for inviting me. This was, this was fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.